You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, and today we are going to do a little bit of a special edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Uh, Chris is not here with me today. Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter for Cleveland.com. He is conducting interviews as the Cavaliers have begun their 2020 training camp. They officially started it on Tuesday. And today, as of Friday, when we are recording this, um, they are going with five-on-five action. And they have the whole team gathered in Cleveland Clinic Court. So Chris is a very busy man. But I did not want to miss this opportunity. Because if you've followed my work at all, you know that I've um, come out and kind of told my story of mental illness, which relates back to Kevin Love, who kind of inspired me through his telling of his own um, mental illness to tell my own story. And I've done that. And now I kind of have tried to make it a little bit of my mission to just make people aware, make people understand that we're all going through something, no matter, you know, everybody's different. Everybody is you know, fighting something. So today we have a special, special, special guest who is definitely involved in the NBA space and is involved in the mental health space. So I thought what a perfect person to bring in for a little bit of a different kind of a podcast today, but I think it'll be maybe even more meaningful than normal, the normal podcast that we do. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome in the owner of Mind Your Strength Coaching, Miss Melanie Schmoyce. Melanie, Thank you so much for coming in today. I cannot wait for our conversation. You're so welcome. I'm so, so excited to be here. So I don't mean to embarrass you, but <laughs> you are a fan of the podcast. Is that that's what I was told through our mutual friend? I am. I will admit more my husband is an avid listener, but um, I definitely love what you both are doing and I really do listen to the podcast. Well, we definitely appreciate that. And I know that, you know, Chris does a lot of the heavy lifting with the basketball stuff. I, I, I admit that I am, you know, I'm more of a football guy myself, but I do, I have paid it, you know, I have been following the Cavaliers since number 23 came to town. What, how long ago is that now? 18 years, almost 18. Wow. Has it been that long? I think it's you're been, right. It yes. has been that long. So, um, but it's, it's good to finally, to, to, you know, I'll, we'll be able to talk something a little different than basketball, but we'll definitely incorporate basketball because, you know, it's, it's definitely part of what you do. So I guess my first question to you would be, tell us a little bit about what you do. Now, obviously I've been able to see, you know, kind of your whole thing, but for those of those, for those of the listeners who don't know, what exactly are you, uh, is your space? Okay. So I am a business owner. I am, as you said, the owner and founder of Mind Your Strength Coaching. And what that actually means is I do personal one-on-one and some small group coaching 
for mostly high performers, high achievers, and some elite athletes. And really, I'm really helping them build their inner strength. You know, they got the physical strength down. They got their performance coaches. I'm there to really help them get more joy, more fulfillment in their life outside the court or field if it's a football player or so I'm really helping them maximize their, you know, happiness and in their internal world. It's funny you mentioned kind of the, the inner strength because, you know, we see these guys and I think that that's something that Kevin Love really brought out was that we see these athletes, these high achievers, and we think, man, they're, they're so strong and they're so, they're like gladiators. And then we don't think about their inner, their inner strength, what's going on inside, inside of their mind. So when you say inner strength, it really means something. I mean, these, these guys, as much as they, men, you do both, you do men, women, you do all high achievers. Um, I mean, these people that work so hard on their out, outside craft and their bodies, maybe they don't have as much time to spend on their inside craft, which is their mental health and all that kind of stuff. So what are ways in which you strengthen them? Yeah. And you know what I really help my players and anyone that works with me is really understand their emotions. It's really weird to me. Like our emotions are the reason we do or don't do anything, like how we think something's going to make us feel. Yet many of us are not really taught where my emotions come from and what to do when I'm faced with a really tough negative emotion that really takes over and is, you know, can be crippling. And I just think it's a real big gap in our education system. No one is teaching us how to cultivate the emotions and the thoughts that create them to kind of feel good or get through the tough times. Do you think that because, um, because these athletes and these high achievers, you know, are so focused on their bodies and their coaches are so focused on their, their physical traits that, that it's just overlooked, especially in, in high achievers and athletes. And that's why you work with them specifically. Absolutely. I like working with them because it, like we said, they already have that skill in one side of their life. And so then it's almost just a meta skill, like transferring that skill over to their mental side. So they already have such great skills. And so I'm just really helping them transfer it over into their inner world, their personal, emotional life. So as the uh, owner of Mind Your Strength Coaching, I mean, you've dealt with all kinds of athletes, all kinds of um, high achievers, as you mentioned. Um, you've worked with NBA players, and I yes. know we can't get into we can't get into you know names and whatnot. Obviously, we're not trying to be in trouble with, with hip <laughs> or anything like that. But right. I mean, you've worked with NBA athletes, and I'm assuming NBA athletes, current and former. Correct. Yeah, so, and like you said, a lot of um, you know confidentiality there, but it's been a huge learning experience for me to see what these athletes face, you know, having a backdoor look at it is, I mean, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about is, is, you know, the, what are you seeing from, I mean, you don't have to obviously get into specifics in terms sure. of individuals, but you're based out of the Cleveland area. And that doesn't mean you necessarily coach only people in the Cleveland area, but um, what are you seeing when people come to you and say, you know, I would really like to help myself. Yeah, so what I see is that, you know, players, often their humanity or their personal life is ignored, you know, and mm -hmm. we're guilty of just seeing them as somebody that's performing and winning a game, but right, they have a huge life. They might have kids and a wife and a, also a business, 
and they have a lot of pressure that, you know, I think a lot of us sort of forget when they're playing. So I'm really helping them balance all that stress and pressure, you know, literally like their, their performance is being seen by millions of people. So if they fall short or have a perceived failure, you know, a huge group of people are watching them, you know, and that, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the effect that that can have on top of, you know, injuries and financial concerns, all the things that come with becoming a player of that stature, the media pressures. So I'm really helping them navigate and having to be on even when they're out in public, you know, to have to have a friendly face on at all times and people being, you know, pulling at them and wanting them to do things, even when they're just trying to relax and have dinner with their family or friends. In terms of who you've worked with, I mean, are, is it, we, we talked about former and current, but like you've, I'm assuming you've seen from the beginning of their careers to the middle of their careers to the end of their careers, you've seen different athletes at different stages. Absolutely. And even some um, players in Europe, which again, they have a whole host of other stressors, you know, just being really isolated, not knowing the language mm -hmm. or the country itself, feeling some loneliness. Um, so yeah, I've just seen players at all different levels and different environments. And I mean, some of the pressures are the same, but some of them are, are unique to, you know, depending on where they're at in their career. Those obviously things are very different from say a rookie to a veteran to somebody who's retired. So exactly. obviously that comes into play as well. Like, you know, a rookie's feeling, you know, where do you, I mean, you see them from different stages, but where do you think is the most common to where you see these, these athletes in within their careers and what they're dealing with? And kind of stages. Um, it's usually, I mean, I've, I've had a maybe three to five, you know, high NBA players. Most of mine are trying to get to that level or, you know, are on the sidelines. And again, that has a whole host of other pressures of comparing mm -hmm. themselves and really wanting to get play time and, you know, feeling shunned or upset when they don't get to do the craft that they really love for a variety of reasons. Um, so it's a variety. Um, and I really have been enjoying, like I said, kind of working with those players in other countries and really seeing the support that they need that I think is really lacking. It's fun. I mean, you know, obviously this is a, this is an NBA podcast and it's, I just, for whatever reason, you know, the, the NBA has kind of become the forefront of mental, of the mental health and mental illness initiative to where, you know, maybe it was just because of Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and the, you know, the multiple people who have come out, maybe in other leagues, it really hasn't been that. But is there something about basketball specifically mm. that is different than any of the other, you know, that the, any, any, any of the other athletes or sports that you deal with? Great question. You know, I think largely this big push, like you said, has really come from these players like Kevin Love coming forward and getting the spotlights that he has on the Today Show and all the articles and podcasts that he's been on. I think it's really put the NBA at the forefront with mental health. The NFL is trying as well, mm -hmm. but I really do think that that really was a turning point from what I saw. And even people reaching out to me and having more interest in my business after he sort of came out with that. So that you saw immediately like that that was you saw the returns right after he was, you know, started to talk about this. It was a game changer. It really yeah. was. And I think I was lucky because I was in Cleveland doing this yeah. already. 
so it was just like a great synergy that that happened when it did and then other players like you said coming forward too so in terms of mental in terms of what you're you know what you kind of help these guys with i mean obviously we talked about you know just the stresses they deal with financially physically emotionally they deal with so much and you know, we're, we, for whatever reason, we just look at them and we don't think about their, you know, their, their minds and their hearts and all that. What are some of the methods that you use to get these guys to inter, like strengthen themselves internally and to, and to feel their emotions and to, you know, find ways through the tough times? I mean, you know, they're not everybody, everybody is going to be different, right? Absolutely. Every single person is going to be so different. So what are some of the things that you work on them with to get them to a better place? Yeah, great question. I have a lot of tools in my tool belt um, because before I became a coach, I, I'm also a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have a really great tool set and I'll just pull out a tool based on what you know someone is facing. But probably the two biggest are in the form of awareness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as humans, we have this amazing ability to actually think about our thinking. And our thoughts, you know, create our emotions. So I'm really having my players and anyone that works with me really take stock of what they're thinking. So it really just starts with having them write down their thoughts. So every morning, five to 10 minutes, we do what we call a brain dump or a thought download where they just write out their thoughts. Kind of like helps get rid of the clutter and any cobwebs in the brain. And then you can kind of take a look and be like, wow, no wonder I'm feeling some sort of way. And then I have them pick one thought usually, and we do a little analysis of what that thought might be creating in their life. And then if it's kind of an unwanted thought, you know, what we do to pivot from that and maybe come up with a different thought. Um, in addition, I'm trained in something called shadow integration. So it's like really understanding the sides of us that are resistant or not on board with the goal that we're trying to achieve. So really kind of talking and figuring out what is the side of me? Why doesn't it want to move forward? And then we kind of extract the lesson and then I help them integrate that shadow so that they can move forward. And it's a really beautiful practice that helps them get to know themselves, you know, their thought process and quite honestly, you know, some power to change it if they want to. I think that's, that's the one thing that, I mean, it seems to be commonplace with everyone that I've talked to. And I've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of different people in the field. And because I've gotten really, I mean, it's obviously something that I care deeply, deeply about. Um, and I think that one thing is just, as you said, awareness, recognizing, yes. being it's aware. Half the battle. You know, you can't yeah. change what you're not aware of. So right. to me, that's half the battle right there. Right. Awareness. And then just, and the mind dump, I mean, just getting it out, getting, getting it, out. it out there. How, I mean, how big is that to just, to, I mean, it's just, it's, that's where it starts. That's where everything starts. Just, just having your feelings out there and, and maybe not publicly, like, you know, the, like I've done or whatever, but having, just having them to somebody who's listening. Yes. And, and I'm trained to like, not believe your thoughts. So it's like really therapeutic, like, oh, she doesn't actually like thoughts are not facts. They're just optional right. sentences in our brain. Yeah. So it can be really profound because often our friends or family will get on board with us because they want to be agreeable and supportive. Right. But a coach like myself is there to sort of hold the space 
and not necessarily believe what somebody is thinking and give them different options, different vantage points. It's like kind of like a crystal, like you can turn it to different sides and mm -hmm. see it from a different angle. And that'll actually produce a different feeling state. And then sometimes we take different actions as a result of that different feeling state. So that's where life can change. You're literally changing how you think, act, and feel. Think, feel, and act, I should say. Right. It's like any coach in the NBA is going to, you know, is not always going to tell somebody what they want to hear, but what they need to hear and what is factual. Right. I mean, you know, just I'm coming from maybe my point of view is that sometimes you just make things up in your mind and then you get worried about them. You make up scenarios, you make up, you just, you, you think, 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 and like overthink. And I think that sometimes, you know, especially in, 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 for a high achiever, I mean, there's so many scenarios that they're dealing with, you know, I'm just for 2020, at least I'm just sitting in my apartment on zoom calls all day, but they're, yeah. you know, they're dealing with, you know, family members. And, and as you mentioned, just all the things that you mentioned, it's gotta be, it's gotta give them like a sense of um, enlightenment when they talk to somebody like you, who's going to give them a little bit of a different viewpoint from what they're accustomed to. Yeah. I try to think of myself like an interrupter because like I'll interrupt somebody's belief system or thought pattern. And it can just be a momentary like, wow, I don't have to believe that about myself or this situation. And it kind of can interrupt that thought pattern and give way to a new, I don't want to get too brain sciencey, new neural pathway oh. in the brain. So it creates a different thought pattern. And it's quite, it's really powerful and really transformational because you're literally can change the course just by changing some thought processes. I mean, you said you didn't want to get too neuroscience based, but I mean, but it's fascinating to me that, and, and it's something that I've learned. It's, it's a lot of it is biological. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is, there is, yes, there's some, you know, some stuff emotionally and, and, you know, from your experiences, a lot of it is probably experiences, but there's a lot of it that's really inside of your brain. I mean, what is there's what are, are there things that you do specifically for the biology of it? like to, as you said, to kind of change their, their ways. Yeah. Like the whole, like our brain space, like we have that neuroplasticity, which means that there is flexibility. Like we can actually change thought patterns and um, really it's just having someone like myself trained to not believe your thought and then show you what your current thought is creating. And then if you want to pivot to new thinking, and then you really have to practice that new thinking pattern before it takes hold and creates a new pathway in your brain. I like to give the example. It's like if you went to work, not that many of us are driving to work anymore, <laughs> but if you go the same way for 10 years, like mm -hmm. your brain doesn't have to think about it. It has that neural pathway, mm -hmm. but say there's a road closure, your brain will get a little stressed. Like, oh no, you might even have to pull out your GPS because you're so used to going that same way. So we're literally like having to change the road direction and your brain doesn't want to do that at first. Your brain wants to do what it's always done because it's easier. It conserves mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. But if you went the new way, you know, for six months or three months or three days, that would become the new way. And then you would just know the new way to go. That's but it involves, great, yeah, it's a good it's a way to think. That's a great way to think about it. You're right. I mean, you know, all of us, you know, going to work, we just, that's, that's a perfect analogy because you do it every day and you're, you don't think about it or, and then all of a sudden, you know, something changes and it can like tear your whole day apart. Exactly. Yeah. It's like stress. So the brain is like, oh my gosh, I have to do something new. You know, it's like learning a new skill. Like if 
I brought you a saxophone or something you've never played before, mm -hmm. your brain would stress a little bit. Like, I don't know how to do this. Right. Um, but it can be taught. You just have to practice it and be willing and able and committed like anything to do that. One thing that I've, one thing that I've definitely learned in covering not only the NBA, but in baseball, baseball specifically is a big one of these, but football, pretty much any athlete in any sport routine is such a common, common, common thing. And it's something that every organization harps on. You know, we, we, we want to build a routine for this person. We want to, you know, when they get a new player, we want to start and get them from the ground up on this routine, routine, routine. I feel like that's a lot of, that can be a reason why athletes, you know, get the, or get in such a, they can find themselves in a bad way because if their routine is even slightly different from what they're used to, you know, that can mess up a game or that can mess up their thought. I mean, it's just, it's, it seems like routine is such a part of sports. And yeah. for that reason, you know, if something changes that routine, that can really mess somebody's, you know, as you said, the neuroplasticity up. Yeah. And sometimes even a good thing we can get a little too rigid about, or, you know, if it does get interrupted, that ability to be able to pivot or change course can be super destabilizing to people. Um, so yeah, even a good thing like a routine can cause some suffering if it gets interrupted. Do you agree that routines are, I mean, that's, it's definitely a good thing for these athletes to be doing, you know, to be the best they can be? hundred percent. And I think that's why in the current situation we're in with COVID-19, yeah. so many of us have lost our routine. We're not going to the office like we used to. Our gyms are closed or highly restricted and so I think that's been really hard for people, myself included. Yeah. You know, the routine has changed. What have you experienced? And I was, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up. Um, what, how have, how has your job changed? How are some of the things that you've seen changed, um, you know, with this pandemic? I mean, obviously, you know, it's difficult enough in normal life. I mean, now we're talking about a pandemic that nobody's experienced and everybody is got the biggest roadblock possible <laughs> that we all have to navigate around to get through. I mean, how has this affected your, you specifically and the, and the people you work with? Yeah. In a good way, you know, I was already doing zoom calls and, you know, I was kind of already doing a lot of online. I also like to meet people in person when possible. Mm -hmm. So that's changed. I used to kind of come to the players or meet them where they were at and we're doing less and less of that because of the the risks um sure but i've been fortunate because i was already online i've just seen a you know more influx in clientele people suffering you know if you didn't have a great mental health routine this definitely shook you up so yeah. you know people are calling more my colleagues are you know having a lot more uptick and clients reporting depression and anxiety. So, but I was lucky. I was already kind of a digital gal yeah. already operating this way. Right. Well, yeah, I'm sure that you've gotten an influx because, you know, that's the, I think that's one thing that is definitely, I mean, you know, governor DeWine has talked about it. I think a lot of, you know, sports organizations are talking about it too, that, that you know, mental health is specifically such a huge part of this as much as physical health. You know, we're all worried about everything. We're worried about infecting other people. We're worried about getting infected ourselves. We're worried about what's going to happen. If we get infected, we're worried about being isolated for a, a quarantine period. If we have to be, we're worried about being isolated just because it's not as safe to go out. I mean, 
the amount of mental stress brought on by this pandemic is is just astronomical. And I think I was thinking about it today. What month are we in? Like and the ninth December. of this? You know, I mean, this is getting in the beginning, I'm like, okay, two, three months, but no, uh, yeah. nine months now of this stress and constant news coverage. And like you said, worry upon worry upon worry mm -hmm. and the holidays and, you know, that whole thing, like we didn't do Thanksgiving like we normally would have. And so I think it's just like the longevity of it too is really wearing on people. Is there anything you're, that you've, you've changed in the way you're, you know, you're, you're doing your job through the pandemic, like outside of just logistics like Zoom and stuff like that? I mean, is there anything that you've, a tool that you've created or a tool that you've found that has kind of helped you help others through this time? Yeah, so I've definitely been blogging more, okay. you know, and trying to give people resources and things to think about. I've also, probably my biggest message is just, especially with the um, parents, like really lowering their expectations and really expecting more meltdowns, both from the children and the adult and just like not putting so much pressure on themselves because a lot of my clients are having kids home for the first time and having to help them do remote, remote learning. You know, that's a whole other yeah. can of worms and dynamic. Have so you seen I, that with, have you seen that with athletes? Like, you know, th that's one thing, I mean, you know, they're on the road constantly or on, you know, and now they've just spent so much time with their children. I mean, which is, can be a great thing, but sometimes maybe they're not as prepared for it. Yeah. And like you were saying about routine, some of the wives are used to them not being there. Mm -hmm. So they kind of do their thing. And, you know, so it's been a whole shake up right. for the athletes, for sure. They're not, you know, used to these constant meltdowns or, and not, like you said, not being able to get on the road and, and just have the camaraderie of their fellow teammates. And I'm sure that affects, I'm sure that affects them, you know, not having the camaraderie, but also I'm sure, you know, relate, you know, marriages are, are definitely tested and, and relationships are tested and things that they, you know, they don't normally don't have to deal with being kind of away for a lot of the year. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, it brings up a lot in, in their emotions. Yes. And it, and it does, I mean, that's, it would for anybody, much less if you're an athlete or, or whatnot. I mean, I think everybody's dealing with seeing everybody more or seeing everybody less than they're accustomed to. That's exactly. for sure. Yeah. So one thing that you brought up in one of the, you know, when we were corresponding back and forth that I wanted to get into was, you know, interpersonal, we were talking just about interpersonal relationships between like players and their families, but um, sometimes stresses can be brought on by, by, you know, coaches, by agents, by media. I mean, that's the one that I'm the most interested in because we are the media. I, I work in the media. Yeah. So, I mean, how, tell us a little bit about how, what you see in regards to like those kind of relationships, you know, media, um, agents, coaches, whatever, what you see and how you work through some of those, you know, maybe some difficult relationships there. Yeah, I mean, I think relationships is probably the biggest thing that I work through and talk with athletes on. Really? Okay. And like you just pointed out, there's so many important relationships that they have to navigate. So mm -hmm. a coach, a teammate, an agent, a media. And, you know, that can get prickly sometimes, depending on the dynamics of all the people involved. The players that I've worked with, you know, trust seems to be number one. Mm. There needs to be a high level of trust between the two individuals. And that really goes a long way. 
And especially if we're talking about mental health, because quite yeah. honestly, sometimes these players are not ready to disclose that they're having a mental health struggle. So that will actually prevent them from going just in case, you know, somebody in the hospital sees them going in and tips off a media person, you know, like yourself, not that you would do anything with that. But, you know, these are concerns that players have, especially ones that are, do not want to be public about this. So that's another thing. That's a great point you brought up is that, you know, getting help. We, we talked about getting help and, and, and being open and, and coming off and getting that off your chest and getting it off your mind and telling it to somebody else is the first step and such a crucial step. But as you said, you know, these guys are, and women are, they're athletes, they're big time. They, they have a, um, definitely a highlight upon them and they, they are looked at by, you know, in some cases, millions of people and they don't want to ever seem vulnerable and they don't want to, you know, be seen in the public eye. Like, I think it took, I mean, obviously I think Kevin Love doing that took putting the onus on himself to, to be strong enough to come out and say that he's, you know, go, he had mental illness and had struggles. I mean, I think it freed so many people, but still there are a lot of people who are not necessarily feeling that way. And it's definitely the first step in a lot of steps to come, but how do you, how would you, how would you break that barrier? How would you try to say, okay, I know you're scared and I know that, you know, you don't want the media to, to find out or you don't want your teammates to find out. You don't want your coaches to find out. So how would you kind of go about breaking that barrier and saying, okay, you know, it's okay to, to do this. You're not, you know, any weaker or any less great of an athlete or great of a person or whatever, because you're, you're reaching out. Yeah. I try to kind of what we were doing with the brain, brain science is like just really educating them. Like, even though we, that's the trouble with mental illness, we can't necessarily see it. It's not an injury that comes up on an x-ray necessarily. So for whatever reason, you know, there is a stigma there that, um, so I just try to educate them on, you know, the different parts of the brain that are affected, especially if it is something that necessitates more therapy like your brain chemistry is just firing differently and that's okay. And there's great treatment for it. Nothing wrong with you as a person. I try to separate them as a person from whatever is ailing them. Like they're not their mental illness or whatever the struggle right. is. They're not their anxiety. No. Yeah. So trying to separate that from them and show them the stats that so many people throughout their life are going to go through at least one bout of some anxiety or depression and just really normalize that definitely having players like Kevin Love who've already come out and you know bad things have not happened yeah you know, hopefully and that it's going to be okay I mean it does require some vulnerability yeah. and courage Absolutely. and I really don't pressure them until they're ready you know as long yeah. as they are getting that help for themselves and right. I try to do it as privately and as I, you know, that I can through all the HIPAA. Rules. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned um, just that vulnerability. I think that that's another thing that, I mean, when you say inner strength, that's what you're trying to build up is that, you know, the fact that you're, from what I'm getting from you, is that you're trying to build that inner strength so that they don't, they don't see it as a vulnerability. Yeah, and that they can cope with that, whatever negative feeling comes up. So if they're feeling a little bit of worry or shame or guilt, whatever the, 
that they're able to allow that feeling to be there and not stop them. Right. So we do need to utilize courage when we're feeling, you know, vulnerable. So it's like really leveraging courage in that situation. Because it does feel like you're kind of falling off a cliff. Like you don't know what's going to happen once right. you kind of come out with it. Right. So that's when we really need courage to kind of help in that situation. But then once you do that, that's when that strength, that muscles, inner muscle starts to be built up. And then you realize, yeah. hey, someone else came to me and said, I'm so glad you did that. And then that helps. And then other people come forward. And, and I think that's what Kevin, you know, I've heard him in interviews say that, you know, people would call him after that and say that. I mean, he, that's what prompted me to do to, I mean, not that I was anything special, but I just wanted to tell my, because I knew what I went through and maybe, I don't know if Melanie, if you've, if I've, you've read anything about what I wrote, but um, I mean, basically just a lot of about anxiety, like depression, anxiety, OCD. I had an mm -hmm. eating disorder at one point just, and I mean, thankfully I, you know, had my parents who were super supportive and, and helped me to find the, the, the people to talk to that I needed to talk to in the medical field. And, um, you know, and there were different, there were, there was different low points, different high points, but I think the, that what helped me was obviously Kevin coming out with that and being strong about it and being, you know, having that courage, but also just knowing that, I wasn't alone so that I, so I wanted to make other people feel that they weren't alone. I wanted to make them feel like they could ever, if they, they if they could look at my story and, and come to me, cause I'm a much more accessible person than Kevin Love is, um, you know, that was worth it for me specifically. Yeah. And there's something about when we're depressed and anxious, we have this thought that we're the only one, you know, yeah. so many people, even though we know it intellectually, Right. When we're in the midst of it, the throes of it, it really does feel like this is only happening to me. Because it is in a way. Yeah. Especially if, if your friends or, you know, you just open up Instagram and Facebook and it looks like everyone's having fun and happy. The social media, so. man, I mean, we could talk for hours, but social media, <laughs> like, you know, these athletes are a lot of them, are, if not all of them, I mean, most of us are on social media at this mm -hmm. point, right? I mean, that's just... But I also feel like there are days when, you know, it makes me really happy to see things on social media, but there are also days where, you know, there's the anxiety, the fear of missing out or the um, just, just, you know, feeling like you're not doing enough or feeling like you're inferior. I mean, I feel like social media, especially for, especially for athletes is definitely got to be a, def a, a negative space sometimes. And it's got to hurt. Um, yeah. Mental. Another thing I work with is like, yeah, that comparisonitis Yes. or like compare and despair. Like when you start comparing yourself to someone else, you know, that's when that despair can, can set in because you're like, oh man, why are they on that great vacation with that person? You know, and all that cascaded when you were feeling good until you started scrolling. Mm -hmm. So I do really work with a lot of my clients on that comparisonitis and really filtering your feed and using it for good and not as another place to beat yourself up or feel bad. How, I mean, how specifically would you combat comparison? Like, I feel like that's not only something that athletes deal. I think that's something that we all deal with. All deal you know? with, yeah. It's, it's a very, we live in a competitive world now where you can see everything and you want to be, I mean, at least me, I'm, I'm a very, I've always been a competitive person. I mean, <laughs> 
definitely going through what I've gone through has helped me to realize what I should be competitive about and what I shouldn't be competitive about. But um, I feel like we're all competitive. I mean, what are ways in which people can, can kind of find a, a good space to where you can be competitive in the right situations, but you don't just compare everything, compare yourself to everybody in every situation? Yeah, honestly, I think it's a great deal of just really grounding into your self-worth. Like, I just truly believe that we're all inherently worthy and 100% as is. Yep. And whatever someone else has achieved or compared to you, like, that really doesn't have anything to do with your self-worth. And I think that's really just a reminder we need. We, again, we might know it intellectually, but to remind ourselves that no matter what I've achieved, or, and especially for my high achievers, can be really, really tough to internalize that the happiness doesn't actually come from the achievement. It just comes from your interpretation of what you make that achievement mean or not mean. Because um, then you're just always chasing. You need that next degree, that next competition, that next thing to feel good. So it's really just that reminding yourself that you're 100% worthy, no matter what you've achieved or not achieved. Right. And someone else's good doesn't, you know, have really went any weight on you. They're just a different person with different set of circumstances and opportunities. I think we often compare ourselves to someone that's been at it for 20 years. We forget that they, all the things that they've gone through to even get to that level. Because especially in athletes, I mean, you're what you've watched the best. You want to be the best. You're, you know, you're always comparing yourself to the best. So I certainly understand that. I think that maybe, that's even something that like you were talking about, you know, looking for that next thing. I mean, that's gotta be something that retired NBA players and, and players of any league. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a whole different set of circumstances where you're talking about self-worth, you're talking about what's next. I mean, that's gotta be a whole different mental illness to deal with if you, if they are going through anything. Yeah. And that's kind of the danger. We think that all that fulfillment and satisfaction came from that. I'm not saying that that doesn't help, but it's still, our thoughts about it that created that. And that's always available no matter what. Um, otherwise, again, you're just going to always be looking for the next thing. And when the sport is over, because most of these athletes don't play for all that long compared to their no. lifespan. No, not at all. This is such a short period of time. I think that's why a lot of them hire me is like, well, how can I get that fulfillment and satisfaction mm -hmm. outside of the sport? And that's really fun because like the sky's kind of the limit, you know, you really get to touch, get in touch with what you're passionate about a new purpose, which can be scary, you know, new interests to start to cultivate. Is that, I mean, is that really the, I mean, so when you, you know, when you're discussing that, when you're discussing new hobbies and new things, I mean, it's basically just diving into their, their passions, what they enjoy doing. I mean, what they, what makes them feel good and just kind of exploring that space with them. Yeah, I always do. The first thing I do with anybody is really coming up with a really potent, strong vision for their mm -hmm. life. You know, what lights them up? You know, what really just enlivens different parts of them mm -hmm. for anybody? You know, what is it that you can't not do? You know, even if it is still related to the sport, maybe they're coaching now or maybe they're, you know, still involved as a reporter or advisor or consultant, or is it something totally different? Like, hey, I always had an inkling or desire to do this. And 
then we, you know, make a game plan, but it starts with that really strong, potent vision. And it takes me, you know, sometimes I have to, depends on the person, ask some really powerful questions to extract it or, because their focus has been just on the sport for so long, you know, that that's has a, been and that's another, cultivated. That's another great point that you bring up is that, you know, some of these people probably hire you to, you know, like you said, develop, like get them through a difficult time in their life or get them through something they're dealing with. But they might not even, they might not be, they might think they're ready, but they might not just open up yet. They might not be ready to let it out. They're, they, they're scared to let it out or they just don't know exactly what to let out. How do you deal with that specific, just having you to, with getting them, you know, to kind of just put their guard down a little bit. I'm sure it takes time to earn their trust. You talked about trust. I mean, I'm sure that's something that's not just inherently there from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, coaching is a relationship too, you know, mm -hmm. built in trust. And I try to operate with a lot of integrity and honesty. And so, you know, a lot of it is trust building and then knowing when to ask the right questions and pull out the right tools to help someone, especially if they're struggling to uncover it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that can take some time, some, you know, real skill, but, you know, most people do know what they're passionate about and it's just really kind of focusing in on that but trust is number one and you know the honesty part are there are there ways in which you specifically build trust like try to build trust or is it just through you know the general being there and and being and in, having integrity and yeah i mean kind of... holding that space for them i i also as a coach use myself as a lot of examples mm -hmm. you know i might kind of lead with, hey, I've struggled with this too. Yep. I'm real public about, I had postpartum depression and anxiety and you know I'm open. So sometimes I lead with my own pain mm -hmm. just to sort yeah. of say, hey, I've been there too. And this is how I helped myself or how I've helped another client that had something similar. We're all in this together or just go to the research. Like, hey, this tool is really shown to help with this and here's why. I love evidence-based yeah. tools as much as I can. So, or like, you know, some people love the brain science, so they want to learn. They want me to teach them that. Some people don't care about that. They're just like, tell me what to do to feel better, stronger. Right. And so it's all individualized, customized, but to answer your question, I think it's a lot of my personal shares mm -hmm. and um, kind of leading by example. Do you think with athletes specifically, like we talked about the trust, do you think it's just because they have so many people around them and they don't know who has the, the intentions, who has their best intentions at heart. You know, is that, is it a background thing where they came from? I mean, where does that, you know, cause I feel like it's been a lot of athletes that I've been around, especially, you know, where trust isn't necessarily the easiest thing to come by. Yeah. What they tell me is just like, it's this feeling of like, everyone wants something for them. Yeah. You know, whether it's they're in their DMS and their Instagram, like, Hey man, can you just do this plug or, you know, right. It's just they're constantly getting asked. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a fatigue. Yeah. And they don't want to come off as like, you know, like, but sometimes they are just tired and right. want to go home and not have to do another thing for somebody. Um, that's at the really highest level. Right. But so I think it kind of stems from that a little bit of exhaustion from somebody wanting something from them. And, and like I think any... when I come in, you know, it's they're really, they love, like, I want to hear about them. Yeah. Like, I don't care, you are. know, like, I don't really want anything from them other than to help them 
with their humanity, their emotions, their personal life. And, but that's scary because they're used to the opposite. Right, exactly. Um, so with all that said, you can help. I mean, you don't only, you know, help athletes, right? You can help anyone. Yeah, high achievers, I say high performers, like anyone that has kind of a big career, they've accomplished a lot, but they're, you know, feeling unfulfilled or unsatisfied. I also have a lot of personal trainers I work with, you know, or fitness buffs. Um, but yeah, I'm licensed and certified to work with anyone really. So it doesn't necessarily have to be any of those kind of, I mean, basically the, my question is like, say I, who am, I'm not a high achiever by any stretch, <laughs> but say I, you know, I've been through my mental, I mean, is there a reason why maybe I wouldn't be a good fit with you or no. is there a reason I would be a good fit with you? No, I think, I mean, and I, I consider you a high performer, you know, and I know you do a lot of different performance. And <laughs> so, uh, Fedor, no. Fedor is the high performer. He's, okay. he's doing the real stuff. <laughs> no, I, I mean, really anyone that's willing and able and wanting to do any sort of mental training, I'm happy to work with. So how do they find you? I told you I would give you an opportunity to plug. And yes. That's what I want to do. So plug yourself away. Okay. So my website is probably the best place. It's just my first and last name, melanieschmoyce.com. I write a weekly blog. I try to make it simple and potent. Um, so you could opt to be on my email list. I'm on Instagram a lot. It's mind your strength, but mind then you are strength. I also post a lot in there on Facebook. So yeah, that would be the best place. Probably my website. Okay, so go to your go to Melanie's website and check out the Instagram and all of that stuff. Um, Melanie, I can't thank you enough for joining me. And I think that you know, you never know who you can. I think that's the most beautiful thing about about the tough times and about going through it is that you like just talking about just having you on, just talking about. You never know who you could help. You never know who you could reach. You know. I think it's a ripple effect, Hayden. Like sometimes yeah. someone might listen to this two years from now right. and we could have an impact on them. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. I've been helped by people's podcasts or YouTube videos and they might not ever know. Right. So I think that when we're talking about this stuff and you know, ripple effects can occur. So I'm glad that you're sharing, I'm sharing, that other players have shared their struggles and how yeah, they got I through them. Right. And I'm glad that we are doing this, like yeah. I said, because I hope this it has gives... a ripple effect on somebody. Exactly. That's the whole, that's why I was so like thrilled to when, you know, when we were able to connect, I said, Oh man, like, you know, this is perfect. She's worked, you know, they're definitely an NBA tie, which we want, which I wanted to make sure that there was because, you know, it's a basketball podcast, but certainly um, it's bigger than that. And I think that, you know, that just, it's, it's crazy that, a guy here in Cleveland, like kind of came out on the forefront of this. So I feel like in Cleveland specifically, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a great thing that we're kind of on the forefront of the mental health and the mental illness stigma because of Kevin Love and what he's done. And now, you know, people like you who are based here are, are you know, coming out and helping and we're all trying to help each other. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. We're kind of like passing the torch to each other and much needed you know my hope yeah. is that mental health becomes just as routine as physical health. like there's a gym almost on every corner my passion is to see that in terms of a mental emotional wellness 
place, you know, just as normalized that this is, you know, we do this training every day. That is my dream too. That is my dream too. That one day, okay. you know, instead of my, instead of having to, you know, not knowing what I was going through and not having an idea, thinking that I was going crazy, that my parents or somebody's parents in the future could say, oh, we'll just take you to the, uh, to Melanie's place where she'll coach you through it or she'll, she'll <laughs> exactly. be your, she'll be your mental health trainer. It's, it's a perfect and easy and, you know, not something that's such, you know, has such a stigma. hundred percent. Well, Melanie, I can't thank you enough for joining. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate your responses and your analysis and your um, knowledge. It's incredible. Um, Hopefully we'll get you on in the, again in the future. Maybe we can talk some basketball with your husband or something. You never know. Or yeah. with yourself. You know? <laughs> that would be awesome. We, um, we had season tickets during the finals. So it was just such a highlight uh, of our lives and our kids. Lives, ours too, so. for sure. Ours yeah, too. Really, it's been amazing to be in Cleveland during that time. It was, it was, that's kind of the unfortunate thing for Chris and I were, <laughs> We so we joked that we try we're trying to navigate a um, a Cavaliers podcast sent through a nine month period where there was no basketball. Right. So it was not easy at times, but I guess that's that was our uh, comeuppance for covering four years of finals and LeBron and all that good stuff. You know. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. Well, Melanie, thank you so much again, and thank you to everybody who listened. I hope that everybody who's listening to this get something out of it. And maybe some of you will get even more out of it than others. But again, go visit Melanie. Uh, she is the owner and creator of Mind Your Strength. Um, she does, she's a licensed therapist as well. So if you find anybody in your life or have, you know, your own desires to reach out, please do. And she told you how to get to her. Um, so go find her on, uh, on her website, on Facebook, on Instagram and all that. Thank you so much for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will be back soon with Chris, who definitely was missed today, but uh, we, will, we will talk to him next time. But again, Melanie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You have a great day. Bye.